ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio with a very heated Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Harry and I have been arguing about Baker Mayfield for the last hour, and you guys have been chiming in. 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. We love all of the calls. We love all of the tweets. I even love the ones that are disagreeing with me and saying everything I say is wrong, which I'm not wrong. You're wrong, but hit me up. AmberW790 or HDouglas83. You can go ahead and tell Harry how wrong he is. Let's take it out to the call line, though. Brent, he's in Texas. He wants to weigh in on this conversation. Brent, what are your thoughts on Baker Mayfield? Yes. Thank you, Amber. I'm a big fan. Um, Mr. Douglas, I just want to let you know that um, Jameis Winston was on a championship-quality team in Tampa Bay and was a mess. So there's no way you can say he's better than Baker and putting him on Cleveland beat do anything better than Baker did. You put Tom Brady on Tampa Bay, they won a Super Bowl the very next year. So that's all I got to say. Jameis is not better than Baker. I love that caller because I have learned that somehow Harry Douglas is a big Jameis Winston fan. Somehow the Baker Mayfield conversation is has rolled into Harry Douglas's defense of Jameis Winston. Uh, and I'm with that caller. Like, I don't understand why we're making Jameis any better than Baker. There's question marks with both of them, frankly. That's, I got a question. What's your Does question? Baker have a job right now? Yes, actually he does. He is the fourth quarterback on the roster for the Cleveland Browns. Okay, does he have a starting job right now? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know what the Browns are doing since they've signed 400 quarterbacks. It doesn't seem like it, though. It seems like their plan is Deshaun Watson or somebody The political else. answer. Okay, Amber, so let me, let me, let me answer the question Always for myself. Always political answer. I, 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 I know Jameis Winston has a job for the New Orleans Saints after Tana ACL. Ah, kind of. I know he's, he's going to be the starting quarterback in He's got a one-year job. You know, he's got a yeah. one-year, $28 million but, but he job. Knows he's, he's no, he knows he's going to be a starter. And that was after Saints. they couldn't lure Deshaun to New Orleans. And, and then the, Jameis and the got last the time I checked, the last time I checked, Jameis went what five and two with the New Orleans Saints last year when he started. That's fine. And then he got injured. He was, I, like I said, he was off to a good start with the New Orleans Saints. But to that caller's point, Jameis didn't accomplish anything except for he didn't accomplish anything in Tampa. He was wildly inaccurate, like is the knock against Baker as well in terms of the turnovers when he was in Tampa. And then the guy who came in the year after him wins a Super Bowl and shows that it's very possible in Tampa. Oh, we might see that same I'm thing so in Cleveland glad. with Deshaun I'm Watson. So who knows? I'm so glad, Amber, that y'all brought that up because – the same caller is trying to compare Jameis Winston and Tom Brady together. Oh, they're saying, my, the what do you goat, mean they're trying the to greatest compare? of all time. No. You said Tom Brady came in and won a Super right. Bowl, and no, it wasn't the, the exact same team. same team. It wasn't the exact it was a very same similar team. team. It was already it, a good team ex- in Tampa. That receiving core was already elite in Tampa when Jameis Winston was throwing them the ball. It wasn't the exact same team. Was it the exact same team? But we're talking about Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. No other quarterback is greater than. Tom Brady can go to any – if Tom Brady went to, 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 to Cleveland, they would have won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Since we're going to talk about that, they would have won the Super Bowl. 
Maybe, right? Uh, maybe, but no, if Jameis no Winston to went to Cleveland, they wouldn't have. So I don't know why we're assuming they went to the that Jameis Winston is so much better than Baker Mayfield. Keep your calls coming. We will get to your calls about Baker, Triple Eight State ESPN. Let's pivot for a minute, though, and talk about some hoops because we haven't gotten much basketball into oh, yeah, the last hour of the conversation when the NBA playoffs, of course, are upon us. James Harden says he doesn't feel any pressure heading into these NBA playoffs. Now, Harry, you and I had a conversation on Tuesday about who has the most pressure in these NBA playoffs. I think both of us had James Harden on the top of our list. He said, I don't have anything to prove. I don't feel any pressure. I don't feel any of that. For me, it's going out there and playing my game, trying to help my team win. Do you believe James Harden doesn't feel the pressure for the Philadelphia 76ers? Do I believe him? No, I don't believe him. He has to feel the pressure because Philly is just a different city uh, when, when you look at sports, period. You look at the Eagles. You look at the Phillies. You look at the 76ers. You look at the Flyers. You, we just watched, um, what was his name, Alec Baum, the, the infielder for the Phillies, have errors and got booed. Then he got James the standing Harden. and see, Boom got the standing ovation after that, which is so Philly. Oh, yeah. Philly but Philly but, fans absolutely are it's a it's a very I was gonna say brutal crowd. Maybe that's not the nicest way of saying it. It's a very uh passionate, passionate. crowd. Let's yes, put it that way. Pa- passionate crowd. But I'll I'll say this James Harden has no idea what's con- going to be coming, or maybe he does, if he doesn't perform at the level he's supposed to supposed to in the NBA playoffs. Because that trade that Daryl Morey made was to help this organization, help Joel Embiid, and give him a Robin to his Batman. If James Harden performs the way we've seen him performing of late, which has not been good, uh, his field goal percentage has not been good as well, he just isn't the James Harden that we're accustomed to seeing, then the Philly fans and the Philly crowd, they're going to have a lot to say. When I mean a lot to say, a lot of things to say to him that he's not going to like at all. So, I'm hoping that he can perform at a high level in the playoffs. Uh, the, the first matchup that they have is a tough one against the Toronto Raptors, and there's a possibility that they might not get past them. Now, I do believe they will just because I don't think they have a big to defend Joel Embiid inside, and Joel Embiid is going to get his points-wise, rebound-wise. The question is, is James Harden going to show up? That's the major question right now that we're trying to figure out. The Raptors 76ers series tips off on Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Brian Windhorse, ESPN's NBA insider, he was on Get Up, and he talked about how Harden doesn't feel this pressure. I think he's being 100% honest, and I think he's right. Legs, you're speaking from somebody who's worried about accountability. James Harden is not. He played one of the most disappointing playoff series I can remember three years ago, blamed Chris Paul. Rockets sent Chris Paul packing. Last two years, wasn't happy with the situation, quit on his team, got traded. No matter what he does in this postseason, he's getting that $200 million contract. I mean, you're talking about it from a personal accountability standpoint. I haven't seen that from Harden, and I've only seen him be rewarded and get everything he wants. So he plays well in the postseason, and the Sixers advance, great. He plays poorly. I'll let you know on July 1st when I'm ready to come in and sign my contract. That's how his life has been. Why would it be any different? I do understand what Windhorse is saying in terms of Harden. Everything he does, he just wins. I mean, even when he's doing the things that shouldn't result in the winning, he does the winning. And I don't necessarily mean on the court. I mean, he does the winning off the court. He does the winning in his bank account. He does the winning in terms of 
controlling his own destiny and ending up wherever he wants to end up. He's forced trades. He's been traded three times in his prime, which is unheard of for a player of his caliber. And now he's reportedly at the destination that he wants to be, but he's still arguably, or it is being reported and rumored that is he forcing a situation with there with the coach? Because apparently he wants Dan Tony coaching him. And so is that going to harm Rivers job security there? And is he still controlling things? And, Wendy said something interesting there. No matter what happens here, he's still going to get the $200 million. I don't think I would do it if I was the 76ers, but he's probably right. He probably is. James Harden's probably going to be out here winning either way, even if they're not winning, even if they get bounced in the first round by the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I just want to see James, after this season, go into the offseason and approach it differently, right? Come in to training camp next year um, at the proper weight, looking slim, ready to ball out, because obviously – He's not in the same shape that he was in the past when we've seen him winning the MVP or playing at a very, very high level. And whatever he's been doing up to this point, the last, I'll say, two years, you gotta take a you gotta take a close look at um so it doesn't hinder your game. He is one who doesn't often take a close look at himself. <laughs> Yeah, what he's been doing. Right. I mean, let's be real about James. Like, I don't know how much self-evaluation no, there really is with James Harden. And so you're asking a lot of him, I think, when you're asking him to do that. I do wonder with James Harden, though, is there going to be a point that he starts feeling the pressure in Philly? Because that fan base is different. You mentioned that. And also because now he is reportedly where he has always wanted to be. So there was excuses in Houston. There's excuses in Brooklyn. I feel like you're out of excuses at some point here in Philadelphia. And at some point, we're going to look at James Harden if he doesn't get it done here. And it's all going to come down to what he does this postseason. But if he doesn't get it done, and if they don't get it done because of him or because he looks like he's lost a step, like which he has looked like at some points this season, then we're going to have a have to have a conversation around James Harden just not living up to the hype, you know? Or are we on the back nine of his career? Or where are we at with James Harden? He's not aging gracefully. He's not taking care yeah. of himself well because he's not a very old player. Those conversations I do think ramp up depending what happens here this off season coming up next, the Hawks dismantled the Hornets last night, a very good night for Harry Douglas. He was there in attendance. We will discuss plus more of your Baker calls. This is ESPN radio. ESPN radio. Tonight was a good night in the Harry Douglas household as the Atlanta Hawks took down the Charlotte Hornets, 132-103. to Harry was there in person. We're going to talk about the Hawks in just a moment. But first, our phone lines have been blowing up around this Baker Mayfield topic. You can give us a call always at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. You can also tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. James is in Texas. James, you have thoughts on Baker Mayfield. What's up? Yes, ma'am. How, how y'all? We are good, James. Uh, hey, well. you know my thought on Baker is that maybe he just he just talks he just talks too much. You know, you can't you can't talk like Muhammad Ali and then box like Butterbean. You know, you got to be you got to be you got to back up what it is. You know, you can't talk to talk and not walk the walk. He's been an average quarterback doing average things, and so he should work on focusing on getting better and being a better quarterback instead of worrying about what everybody else is not doing. Well, Harry Douglas would very much agree with your take there, James, that he thinks that Baker needs to put up and shut up, essentially, when it comes to football. 
but I, but I do feel like this, though, because I can't let this go unsaid this entire time we're talking about the situation. I can't let Kevin Stefanski off the hook, though, because I do think Kevin Stefanski played his part in a lot of things in that offense not shifting and moving the way it should have moved when it came to a Jarvis Landry and an Odell Beckham Jr. So I'm not going to sit here and say that's all on Baker because Kevin Stefanski played his part in it because he is the play caller. And he is the person who has to make it work and put everyone in the best situation to become successful. So do I think Baker Mayfield is the person to blame for everything that has transpired in Cleveland? No, I don't. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying Baker is the number one pick overall. When I pick a guy or when a team picks a guy number one overall, their mindset is, okay, make us right. If it's not right, make us right. That's the mindset of an elite quarterback or a guy that you're thinking, you're picking number one, that you're thinking one day will be elite. If we're wrong, make us right. That's the mindset of offensive coordinators and coaches. If, if we make the wrong play call, get us into the right play call. If we, if we choose to, to, to put a player in a bad situation, help us get, us, get them out of that bad situation. Uh, you got dangerously close to almost sounding like you were defending Baker for a second there. You will not defend, though, Harry Douglas, I'm guessing Miles Bridges from last night because when his Charlotte Hornets were getting blown out by your Atlanta Hawks, Miles Bridges was ejected from the game. And as he was walking off the court and into the, hu- uh, into the tunnel, he struck a young fan with his mouthpiece. He called his actions unacceptable. He said, I was aiming for the guy that was screaming at me, and I hit a little girl. Uh, Reportedly, he did hit a 16-year-old girl with his mouthpiece when it ricocheted. Obviously, a very, very bad look for Mikhail Bridges. He did go on to say that he's going to try to get in touch with the young girl and apologize to her and do something nice for her. I would say that's the least probably that Miles Bridges could do. Here is Miles Bridges. I was upset about a call, a couple calls really, um, and I, I, I let my I let my temper get get the best of me. You know that was definitely the wrong thing to do by throwing my mouthpiece. You know, um, I was aiming for I was aiming for the guy that was screaming at me, and it you know what I'm saying it hit a, it hit a little girl. So that's definitely unacceptable on my part, um, and I take you know full responsibility. I'm ready for any consequence that the NBA gives me. Miles Bridges was ejected because he used profanity directed at an official uh, reportedly, and it was his second tech by rule. That's an automatic ejection. Bridges is now subject to NBA discipline for his actions involving his mouthpiece. What did you make of Miles Bridges' behavior last night, Harry? Yeah, I didn't like it at all. Um, did you know I what did, happened? Because you were there. Getting the tec- technical foul. Well, I had left at that point. But I was listening to it on radio, um, uh, Steve Holman, and he did a great job explaining everything. Miles Bridges probably should have got a foul call down the court. Then he came down and blocked the shot, got a goaltending called on him. And he went charging at the ref using language that you probably shouldn't use to the referee. But on his way to the tunnel, and the fan was just being a fan. I, I Listen, I, I would have just walked through the tunnel. But, you know, in a heated situation, he made a mistake. He made a mistake. And what I love the most is that, he apologized about it, and he's going to try to reach out to the young lady. But you cannot throw objects. You cannot do that because it's not like he threw it soft now. He threw it hard. 
and he totally missed the guy that he was trying to hit and, and, and hit, a, hit a girl. But I love the fact that he owned up to it. I would give him a fine at the most if that one game. I don't think so. I just think a fine because let's forget now, Steph Curry threw his mouthpiece in the game uh, back in the finals when they were playing against the Cleveland Cavaliers against LeBron. Now, it wasn't as big as this, and that's Steph Curry, you know what I mean? So he's going to get more leeway than a guy like Miles Bridges. But his temperament, Miles Bridges is a good dude, and he has been the leading scorer for the Charlotte Hornets the entire year and has been a bright spot. But you just don't want things like this uh, on your resume. Steph Curry gets a pass when Steph Curry shouldn't get a pass, frankly. That I remember very, very clearly because I remember being so down on Steph Curry for that. I don't feel like Steph Curry gets the heat because he's like a likable player and everybody loves themselves some Steph Curry. And Miles Bridges is going to get a lot of heat here for doing essentially the exact same thing. He did throw the mouthpiece really hard. I don't mean to be dramatic, but I mean, he's lucky that it hit her her shoulder, right? Like it could have, I mean, if it hit her in the eye or something, it could have been a problem. Exactly. And, and we're talking about a child. I mean, it that's a problem for Miles Bridges. Yeah, was. like it could have been, which is why you cannot let your players throw objects. We say that the fans can't throw stuff. We've seen problems with that in the NBA, the fans throwing stuff at the players. Well, that same respect has to be given from the players to the fans. You obviously, from a safety perspective, cannot allow that to happen. But you also have to recognize, like, that is a paying customer that is there in the stands. And you can't be throwing objects at them because you don't like what they're saying to you or because they're booing you. You know, I, I understand that that's probably very difficult to in that moment when you're frustrated and the emotions are running high, but you are, you need to show a better sense of professionalism because you are compensated to do that in that moment. You are absolutely expected as a job requirement, as part of your job to be able to handle yourself in those very difficult moments that frankly, a lot of people would have a difficult time handling themselves because the average person would be very emotional in that moment. But Bridges has to do better because of where the expectation is. So hopefully he will get in touch with, that young girl and and do something nice for her and make good on it. I would imagine though, to your point that he is going to get fined by the NBA coming up. How difficult is it for NFL front offices to sort through production versus potential in the NFL draft? This is ESPN radio. ESPN radio is presented by progressive insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV and boat insurance, visit progressive.com. We will unpack the draft next. This is ESPN radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can always tweet to us at Amber W790 at HDouglas83. It is time now to unpack some NFL draft talk. And for that, we bring in Todd McShay, ESPN NFL draft analyst, co host of the First Draft podcast. You can get it wherever podcasts are available. Todd, let's start with the second pick with the Detroit Lions, because I talked to Mel yesterday and he implied that the Lions were one of the more difficult teams in this draft to figure out because they have so many needs. Where do you see them going? I know Ahmad Sauce Gardner is starting to get a lot of pub in that two slot. Do you think that's realistic? I think it is realistic. I I mean, it's certainly not a lock that that's going to happen, but it it fits what they want to do schematically. He's the best cornerback in this class. you look back over his career, he never gave up, gave up a receiving touchdown. This past season, he didn't give, allow a receiver to have more than 13 yards in a single game. And he's 6'3", long arms, 
He's got the speed you look for at the position. Uh, he's just he's as complete a player as you can ask for when you're looking for a press man cover corner. So it, it would make sense. The only argument to that, though, is it, I think edge rusher is, is a, just as big a need in a more impactful position. You know, to me, it's quarterback, wide receiver, and edge rusher. Those are the three most important positions right now. So if Aiden Hutchinson goes one, and, and, you know, there's been some buzz about Trayvon Walker from Georgia going number one overall, I can tell you right now the Lions would be thrilled. and They couldn't turn that card in fast enough. But if Hutchinson goes one, I think Trayvon Walker or Kayvon uh, Thibodeau, Walker from Georgia, Thibodeau, Oregon, uh, would, would be um, on the short list. It, really, to me, it would be Walker, Thibodeau, and Sauce Gardner as the three guys that they would choose between because they don't have an offensive line need. And so that takes out of the equation Iki Aquanu from NC State and Alabama's Evan Neal. I want to talk to you about those offensive linemen. That's exactly where I'm going next. You look at Aquanu right. from NC State, a guy I thought did a great job uh, for that team, and especially in the run game, getting his head across uh, on zone runs, on defenders. He has fluid hips. He has the background, the athletic background with the, with the, in the family genes. Then we go to Charles Cross. Um, I like what he does as well. I like how he uh, gets to the second level. He has good core strength. But then you look at a guy like Trevor Penning, and then you look at Evan Neal. How do you decipher, if you're uh, a GM, which one of these guys you want to take first? It's a great question. <clears throat> Part of it is what are you looking for? You know, if, if you're in a situation kind of like the Giants and Jets where it's kind of moving parts, maybe Evan Neal would make the most sense because he started – three years ago at, at, um, at guard started two years ago at right tackle and started last year at left tackle. So, you know, the position versatility is there. Whereas cross and Iki Aquanu were primarily uh, left tackles. The vast majority of their snaps came at left tackle. Uh, you could kick those, uh, you could kick Aquanu inside the guard, but I don't think you'd want to do that. So versatility plays a role in it. I agree with you. The best run blocker in this class is, is Aquanu. And, I mean, I'm telling you, just, like, grab a couple of your friends, pull up on the couch, grab some popcorn, and throw in his pancake reel. It'll be the funniest half hour you've had in a long time. It's just – he just demolishes guy. guys. Guys, it's not just the power and explosiveness. It's the agility that he has at the position to get out in space and to do so with balance so that he can get clean contact. He's still kind of like a two-hand puncher, gets over his skis a little bit in pass protection every once in a while. But everything that he lacks – is coachable and he's going to come to him. And if you're looking for a smart offensive lineman, he passed up two scholarships to the Ivy League, not just just the Ivy League, but Harvard and Yale to go to NC State to play a higher level of, of competition. So this guy is smart. He's explosive. He's got all the tools that you look for. That's I think he's going to be the first off, offensive lineman off the board. Could be the Texans at number three. If not, I think the Giants is probably the most likely spot at number five overall. Now, I want to ask you about one more guy offensive line-wise, Kenyon Green, a guy who I think can play every offensive line position that you throw at him. But I think his moneymaker is at guard. I look at film, uh, and I tell a lot of people, if you can watch film, watch 2020, how he's going up against Will Anderson Jr. Where do you mm -hmm. think about him, and where do you think he'll probably be drafted? That's right. You're digging deep, my man. I like this. Uh, <laughs> no, that was a great tape. And Kenyon Green is – you know, from Texas A&M, he's a dominant run blocker, very solid and, and dependable in, in pass protection. He's, you know, it's just the guard position that's going to drop him down a bit. He's going to go, I would, I would guess, somewhere in that 20 to 32 range 
There are some teams, you know, still looking for offensive line help. Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers are one of them. Um, so I think he winds up going in that range. But he's the best guard in this class. Tyler Lindenbaum from Iowa is the best center in this class. And as you mentioned before, we've got, I think, four tackles that belong solidly in the first round with Ike Aquanu, Evan Neal, uh, Cross from, from Mississippi State, and then uh, Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Todd McShay, ESPN NFL draft analyst on ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. I don't watch nearly as much tape, Todd, as Harry does, so I'll throw you a softball here. (laughs) But the wide receivers, I have heard this is a really deep wide receiver draft, but then I've also heard that it's not as good at the wide receiver position as last uh, draft was. So where do you Find me a group that is. Right. Well, why, well, it seems like it, right? First of all, it, that's that's an interesting place to start because it seems like at, across the board, this draft is not as good uh, and these players aren't rated, I guess, too. the same way. Uh, but how do you evaluate this wide receiver class? It's it's a really good class. You know what's happening? We're all getting spoiled. That's really, I mean, in the last two years, we've had 11 first rounders and almost every single one of them have panned out and played at expectation or higher than, you know, Jamar. there's no Jamar Chase in this draft. But it's a little. I think it's more like two years ago in a, in uh, 2000 when I think was Rugs. Yeah, Rugs was the first wide receiver off the board that year. Went number 12 to the Raiders. But then we still had six wide receivers go in the first round, six in total. Last year there were five, but they came off the board earlier, starting with with Jamar Chase. And both of those groups, as I mentioned, I mean, outside of Rugs and his, uh, you know, unfortunate, horrible situation. They've almost all panned out. And then there's been a bunch of guys in the second round, too. So, yes, it, it's, it's easy to sit here now and say, well, it's, this group isn't as good as last year. Well, yeah, no kidding. And, and even, like, based on grade, it's not quite as good, but it's still really good. We're talking about, we're talking about Garrett Wilson, who I think is the best receiver in the class. Reminds me a lot of C.D. Lamb with the body control that he has. He's going to be a, a top eight, at worst, top ten pick. Same thing for Drake London from USC. I think those guys are both off the board in the top 10 and Drake London's just, you know, the basketball background, six, four, 219 pounds. He's the best on contested catches, jump balls, 50 fifties, red zone, all those things uh, of any receiver in this class. Then you've kind of got, got the second tier where I think can in the 10, maybe 11 to 20 range, Jamison Williams is the best receiver in this class when he's hundred percent, he's coming off the ACL, but I would bet on him. And to be quite honest with you, I, outside of Garrett Wilson, I may I may be more likely to take Jamison Williams based on what I saw on tape this past year, averaging 19.9 yards per catch, best vertical receiver in the class, explosive after the catch, returned two of ten kickoff returns for touchdowns, and he was the best gunner in college football on top of it. So you've got those, those three, and then the fourth one I would throw in the mix there is Chris Olave, a silky smooth vertical route runner from Ohio State. I think all four of those guys are gone in the top 20. Then the third tier within the first round, Jahan Dotson, who's got the best ball skills of all these receivers. He's an undersized slot receiver coming out of Penn State. He's going to go in that 20, uh, 20 to 32 range. Traylon Burks from, from Arkansas is a 6'2", 225-pound slot receiver who's outstanding after the catch. Kind of a unique build for, for the kind of player that he is. And then Christian Watson's the wild card. I think those six are pretty solidly locked in, but Christian Watson from North Dakota State, who's 6'3", 205 pounds, and has 4'3", 8 speed, I think is what he ran at the 40, in the 40 at the combine. 
he is a difference maker vertically, and his tape is a lot of fun to watch. He could sneak into the late first round as well, giving this group seven wide receivers in the first round, which would be more than the last two years. Todd McShay, ESPN NFL draft analyst, again, co-host of the first take draft or the first draft podcast. First take is something different. The first draft podcast. You can find that wherever. <laughs> I couldn't host all, that one. Right. Wherever all your podcasts are available. Todd, thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Coming up next, the all-time NBA first and second European teams were announced, and Harry and I disagree on several of the players on that list. Imagine me and Harry Douglas disagreeing. Never happens. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. There is a beef of brewing, Harry Douglas, and it is radio on Radio Crime. The ESPN radioers, if you will, uh, have somehow broken out into a beef around two-on-two basketball and who could go two-on-two and beat one another in terms of the shows and the personnel who fill in here at ESPN radio. And to me, the obvious here is, you know, I don't know, the dude who played basketball in Jay Will, but Bart Scott is not out here having any of that because Bart Scott is swearing that him and Alan Hahn could beat anybody that includes Jay Will and Keyshawn out there on a basketball core Chris Canty got in the mix yesterday he was fired up because he's six eight he thinks he can dominate Tim Legler even has weighed in on the subject here was Tim Legler on Barton Hahn I did get a wind of that this morning I was on that show and they threw it at me and uh, I got I just listen the J will factor mm. is a little too much I think for you guys to overcome uh the guy that's stays fair. in shape he plays ball all the time he shoots all the time he, he's still like a gymmer he's more of a gym rat now than when he played So I I just think that'd be a lot to overcome. I tend to agree there with legs that uh, my money would be on, you know, the guy who played professional basketball and was one of the best college players ever and all that. But apparently (laughs) there are others who have different opinions here at ESPN radio. Who would you have your money on Harry Douglas? This is tough because I love all these guys that are mentioned here. I've I've been on both shows. I'm going to have to go with Jay will though. But can I make a substitute? Go ahead. Can I can I sub in? You want to? I, I'm a I'm a I'm a sub myself in. I'm a sub myself in for Keyshawn. Really? Okay. Well, good. well at least you weren't being ridiculous yeah. and subbing yourself in for Jay Will. So you're saying Harry Douglas and Jay no. Will can beat anybody here at ESPN Radio? But are you claiming then that you're better on two on two than Keyshawn Johnson would be? No, I just I just don't know. I, I never I, I never heard anything about Keyshawn playing basketball. So that's that's all that is. There's nothing well, against I, Keyshawn. I don't know the shape that Keyshawn's in. I think that this has somehow uh, become resulted in a bunch of former football players out here talking about how well they hoop, which is basically <laughs> what has broken down to here with Keyshawn and Barr Facts. and Harry Douglas <laughs> and Chris Canty. And what I have learned from doing radio with all of these professional athletes is that all of y'all are so good at stuff your whole lives that then you think that you can be good at darn near anything. <laughs> and it's probably a little delusional because y'all were obviously professional athletes, but in a sport, and it wasn't the same sport. It wasn't even close to the same sport. But that confidence, man, of a professional athlete is unrivaled. It is a, it is a type of confidence I don't know if I possess, but I appreciate it with all these ESPN radios.
ESPN Radio. We are rounding out the 5 o'clock hour here on ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas hanging out with you. Lots of Baker Mayfield reaction today at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Let's go ahead and get to one of these calls because some of you have been hanging on for a really long time, and we appreciate you. Gregory, you are in Manhattan. You have been riding with us on hold. What are your thoughts on Baker? Hi. I just wanted to say that um, I played a little bit of the Division One football, and what I learned was that it's everybody at that level – can throw the ball. Physically, everybody there is a player. The thing is that we're talking about motivating, because football, you have two teams. You have the defense and the offense. We're talking about motivating a whole team to rise up and do better than what they thought they could do. And I don't see that in Baker at all. Uh, well, a lot of people say that, Gregory. There's a lot of conversation, Harry, about Baker Mayfield as a leader. And and I do think some of that is legitimate. I think some of that has spun a little out of control, a little piling on this offseason with Baker because the idea that they needed to trade for an adult and that he can't lead anybody and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. It feels a little bit like kicking him when he's down, frankly. But I do understand that that conversation has existed for some time with Baker Mayfield within that locker room. And leadership is always something that dudes do have to learn when they come into the NFL at that position. And some people are better rising to that task than others. Yeah, I think it's very important. Um, I'll, I'll take you to Arizona, right? You see the Calamari Cal- uh, situation going on out there and how a lot of people don't think that he's a leader. When you're playing the quarterback position, whether you want this tag or you don't want the tag, your job is to be a leader, whether you want it or not. And how you move and do things is going to affect a lot of things that happens to your football team. And that's one of the things these guys have to start understanding. You have to be cordial with your teammates. Carson Wentz is struggling with that right now. You have to be cordial with your teammates. You have to do things with them. You have to understand um, what makes people go, what makes them tick. Uh, Playing with Matt Ryan, I thought he did a great job of understanding everyone in the locker room and when he can joke around, when he needs to be serious, when he needs to probably yell, when he needs to probably say something softly. Those are the intangibles that a quarterback has to have. You have to have those things. You look at a guy like Lamar Jackson. We've been, we've been talking about him. Every time he goes to the media, he talks about what he could have done better, even if it's something that's not his fault. He's going to say, hey, I could have been better here. We probably would have won. Even though he's putting his forth his best effort to do everything that his team could possibly do to win, that's, that's, that's what he's going to do. And the great ones, um, they, they, they have that figured out, and, and some of the young ones, they still got to figure it out. Warren is in Wisconsin. He's also got some Baker Mayfield thoughts. Warren, you've been hanging out on hold for some time. What are your thoughts on Baker and on the Browns? Yeah, um, I think that Baker's actually given the Browns a lot to be happy about. I mean, before Baker got there, they didn't have too much to root for. You know, I'm a Packer fan, and I've been blessed with 30 years of great quarterback play. So I know what great quarterback play looks like and I know that that don't just fall off a tree and Baker Mayfield I mean I think he's the person he is he needs to become a better leader and I think the situation that he finds himself in right now might be the best thing that's happened to him 
because, you know, his little bubble got popped and, you know, maybe all those progressive commercials got to his head. But him being and getting Cleveland to the playoffs and beating Pittsburgh gave the Cleveland Browns a lot to root for. And I think that shouldn't be overlooked because it was two decades of the Browns not being relevant. I understand exactly where you're coming from because the Browns weren't relevant for so long. Now, here's the thing. Once you get to a point where you you make the playoffs and you taste that success, now as an organization, where do your mindset – your mindset has to shift, right? You no longer just want to make the playoffs. Now it goes from, okay, we made the playoffs. Now we want to win a championship, right? So now your mindset has shifted, and that plays a part in a lot of decisions that they made, right? Okay, let us go get Deshaun Watson because he's a better quarterback, and we can possibly make a Super Bowl with a guy like that who has that it factor. Now, I I, I 100% agree with what you said. Baker Mayfield got them to the playoffs, and – they got a playoff win or whatnot. But now it's just making the playoffs. Is that just okay? Is that the goal? Number one, it should have never just been the goal. But for Cleveland, I could understand, hey, you've been so bad for so long, we want to make the playoffs. Now you, has, you have made the playoffs. Now we want to taste success. We want to play for the, for the Lombardi Trophy. Now it's a different goal at hand, and that's the, the, the way the organization has turned. I do think that when you're talking about the Cleveland Browns, that making the playoffs is a goal and then getting a playoff win is a goal. And then they, you know, and taking Kansas City, you know, having them against the ropes, uh, you know, after that, after uh, beating Big Ben and the like all of that was a goal and was accomplishing goals, frankly, because you're talking about an organization that was so hungry for it and so desperate for it. And that does matter. Like that does factor into this, that that is where the expectation begins. Think about Trevor Lawrence right now as a number one overall pick pick Trevor Lawrence comes in with those expectations to Jacksonville but nobody's expecting him to pay off a Super Bowl in year number one I understand that we're spoiled right now by the Joe Burrows of the world or even the play of a Justin Herbert but nobody's piling on with Trevor Lawrence coming off of a terrible first year for him because everybody's looking of course around him at the organization and all the adversity that he faced this season and he's getting a pass but what is the expectation for Trevor Lawrence who right now his team was the big money spenders in the offseason and spent more money than anybody else in NFL history on all this guaranteed money. And then what is the expectation there? And I would say, frankly, the Jags would be thrilled if he even made the playoffs. I'm not even sure that's the expectation, frankly, as we come into this season. So where your organization sits does matter in terms of your expectations. Baker was at one point beating those expectations. This season that we're coming off of was a down season for Baker Mayfield. Nobody is arguing otherwise. But I do think the narrative about him never meeting the expectations has spun out of control. Coming up next, where do the Lakers go from here? We'll ask someone who won an NBA championship with the franchise when he joins us next. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas.